0: Hello. Hi, good morning. Um, I'm Mitsu Kodama, and I've been with this church for a while with Misty. Our kids, three kids went through youth group, Zeb and Rob's team. They are a little bit older now, but um, so that's me. I'm part of the worship team, and I'm going to read the scripture for today. Uh, Be kind to one another, tender, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you, therefore be imitators of God, as beloved children, and walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Ephesians 4:32, 35-2. Good morning. If you're here for the first time, or you're watching online for the first time, my name is James. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and it's such a joy to have you guys with us this morning. We're in the middle of a series on Ephesians, and we're heading into chapter five today. And I just want to say, first of all, uh, to Pastor Steve sharing last week, thank you so much for doing that. Uh, What a gift it is to have uh, Pastor Steve in his supposed retirement, uh, continuing even six months later to, to pour so much into our community, working every every single week and every single day, pouring into the lives of people here and. Uh, he, he is such a gift, and I'm so grateful to be able to step in after him in, in how we're here. But today we're heading into Ephesians 5, and we're looking today at Paul's call for us to be imitators of God. And as I was thinking about this today, I was thinking about what are imitators in today's society, and I was thinking of actors. And um, you know, there's some crazy stories of things that actors do to imitate the people they're going to portray on screen. And a, a few examples I was looking up on that one. One of them that stood out to me was Jamie Foxx when he was preparing for his Oscar role, where he won the Oscar to play Ray Charles in the movie Ray. He actually wore, uh, he had his eyelids glued shut the entire time of filming. So sometimes 14 hours a day, he would have his eyelids glued shut on top of spending endless hours actually with Ray Charles in order to try to have the experience of imitating him. He wanted to know what that was like to be blind, and so he or glued his eyelids shut. Another example was James Franco when he played James Dean. Even though he wasn't even a smoker, he picked up a -a two-pack-a-day smoking habit in order for him to try to understand what was it like to be James Dean on top of all the other research that he did because he wanted to get into the mind, the role of to look and feel and understand what what, what James Dean was going through. Another one was Ashton Kutcher in the film Jobs about trying to portray Steve Jobs, He wanted to know what that was like, so on top of all the other research, he decided to adopt Steve Jobs' famously weird diets as a fruitarian, was kind of this weird thing where he'd go through seasons where he would only eat carrots and carrot derivatives. So Ashton Kutcher developed or or started doing that and went a long time only eating carrots, and as a result, it put him in the hospital with pancreatitis. And of only eating carrots. And, and after, even after doing that, his wife in an interview said he was an idiot because then he switched to doing another aspect of only eating grapes. And a few weeks later was back in the hospital again. Um, but it was so serious for him. I want to be able to imitate this guy. I want to know what's going on in his head. So I'm going to, to try to do these things. One of the most crazy examples to me was of Daniel Day-Lewis when he was filming uh, My Left Foot of the Irish poet Christy Brown who had cerebral palsy and had to draw with his left foot right with his left foot, in preparing for this role the entire time of filming. Even when not filming, he remained in the wheelchair, just like the poet did. In fact, not only that, he required the crew to literally carry him places where the wheelchair couldn't go, and even made people spoon-feed him food because he wanted to understand what that was like in the fullness of experiencing that. He wanted to imitate this poet. They wanted, to, each of these guys wanted to genuinely, genuinely imitate the person they were trying to portray, and so they did everything they could to live like them, act like them, experience life like them. Uh, there was a crazy story of Dustin Hoffman when he was preparing for Marathon Man, a story about a guy with sleep deprivation. So he actually deprived himself of sleep, went 72 hours without sleep completely like, unconscious by the end of this, but he said he wanted to, to be able to act and imitate this guy that he was playing. And, and the same film is the most famous actor, Laurence Olivier, and he turned him at one point, as written down, and he said, my, my dear boy, why don't you actually just try acting, <laughs> right? You don't, to, you don't have to do this. You can just act like it. That's kind of our job, right? But you've you got to appreciate the effort that goes in of people trying to imitate someone, to portray them to try to think like they would think and live like they would live and act like they would lack, because they understood that this person they were trying to imitate was different than themselves and they had to adopt their ways in order for this to be real. In fact, I read about Jared Leto in The Suicide Squad. He was portraying the Joker and he was, got so into character they had to bring in a mental health counselor because his own mental health started to decline because he got so into the role of being this crazy guy that he started going crazy himself. And he got all of this because they believe they have to imitate this person. For the short window of time as they're doing this and their portrayal had to be something so that when people saw them they would think of that other person that's what imitation is to follow they look so much like this person that when you look at them you think and see this other person so they followed their examples adopted their habits and tried to live like them an actor who didn't act or look in any way like the person they were trying to imitate you would say is a failure Right, they failed at the very job of acting if they look like, don't look like them, don't act like them, don't live like them. And that's very obvious that that would be considered failure. But Paul in our passage today is going to say that's what Christians are called to do. We are called to imitate God, not Ray Charles, not some Irish poet. We're to imitate God and Jesus. And not just generically, not just in our own interpretation, but very specifically, he narrows it down and says this in chapter 4, verse 32, Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. That's how we are supposed to love. That's how we're supposed to imitate. We're to forgive the way that Jesus forgives, love the way that Jesus loves, and not just generically, not just be kind, not just pay it forward, though those are great things, not just be compassionate, but to specifically imitate his love for others, the same kind of love he demonstrated when he died for us on the cross. That is the standard that it set out for us of what love looks like, forgiveness like that. To be like Jesus in that specific way. I mean, yes, love generally, but in this passage, he's zeroing in on the degree of forgiveness and love we have for those who have hurt us, offended us, those that we want nothing to do with. To actually live in love like Jesus lived and loved. To imitate him, to become like him, to be followers of Jesus. That when other people see us, they should see Jesus. Right? That's what he's getting at. And I say this because for, I think, so much of the church world, across the world, actually becoming like Jesus, actually living and loving like him, often just takes a back seat to believing the right things about him. To so just belief systems and doctrine and other things. And again, we would say an actor who is not doing a good job or is not in any way actually living and like the person they're portraying or looking like, we'd say that's a failure if they don't act like them. Yet Christians so often act and look nothing like Jesus. And we still call them Christians. How can we call ourselves a follower of Christ and disciple if we actually don't imitate him in any way? We don't, his actions are not visible to us. When people look at us, if they don't see Jesus, we should be considered that a failure. Because that's what we are called to do. Paul says this is following up to what he said in the beginning of chapter 4 that we are to walk worthy of the gospel. Our lives should be conformed to that of Christ increasingly. Not to perfection, but Increasingly. And Paul, for the rest of this letter of chapters 5 and 6, is going to be hammering different aspects of how we are to imitate Jesus. So one of the phrases that has grown in popularity that Christians often throw around, you see a lot of church websites, is, you know, that as Christians, we are to hold to a high view of Scripture. And that's awesome. You see that on so many church websites, and I'll be able to hold it. It's great. I do. And by that, when a high view of Scripture, what people mean is we, we believe that the authority of Scripture, that it's true, that it's real, that it's God-inspired, that it's an error, all that other good stuff. Amen. We believe we have a high view of Scripture, and that's great. But why, for so many Christians, is the emphasis always on a high view of Scripture and not a high view of Jesus? Right, That yes, you must believe all this stuff and believe all these things, but what about actually believing that what Jesus said is true and real and where he actually calls us to do the things he said to do? Why do so few Christians take Jesus' words seriously? And the way we are to live and the way we are to love, why do we spend so much time fighting over non-central doctrines and then actually striving to obey the very clear words of Jesus? Why do we hesitate to imitate him? Well, it seems we can spend endless hours debating the things that he said when the clear and obvious things that he says to do sometimes we, we, we delay in. Yes, doctrine matters. Theology matters. Truth matters. I've said it a hundred times. I'm not diminishing the role of doctrine or theology. I love theology. My wife is often making fun of me because it's so frequently at night as I lay in bed with my Kindle above my head, I fall asleep with it smacking into my face as I'm reading books on theology and commentaries as I go to bed. In fact, often like four times in the same night, it smacks my head and she's lost all compassion. She has no heart for me. She just giggles and laughs every time. But I love theology. It's not that there's something wrong there. It's great. But Jesus regularly tells his disciples, go do what I have done. Don't just memorize what I tell you. Go do it. Go live it out. I mean, can you imagine if Jesus, upon sending his disciples out for a few weeks when he says, go, follow my example. Go, preach this word. Go love the the tax collectors. Go heal the sick. Go pray for demons or or demons to be exercised." And and Jesus, after sending them out, they all come back and he says, so what did you guys do? What was it like? Tell me what happened after a few weeks of of modeling my life to the world. And imagine they come back and they say, do? What do you mean do? I mean, we, we heard what you said. And so we talked about it a lot. In fact, we wrote some really cool songs about it. You should really check out Peter. Give him, tell him that cool rap you made up about loving tax collectors and Samaritans. It's, it's really catchy, Jesus. I think you'll like it. He's like, no, what did you do? And they're like, well, we talked about it. We memorized a bunch of your words and, and, and said, I think we did pretty good at that. But there's also a few factions because some of us disagree on some of the finer points. And so we have different views, but Jesus, we truly believe in you and we believe all the things that you said. I mean, that seems ridiculous, but that's kind of what we do so often as Christians. We just argue about the stuff he says. We try to believe it is truth. And meanwhile, we just ignore about actually that living it out part. But Jesus says we are called to imitate him. And Paul is, is hammering home this central idea, the central point of this entire letter. That we must love each other the way that Jesus has loved us. We must live and love like Jesus. It's not an optional second. It's not an add-on. So let's jump a little closer and look a little closer at the passage today. He says in chapter 5, he begins and says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. That's this command, this imperative command for them to obey. But this is the way chapter 5 starts. And again, chapter breaks are often terrible in Scripture, especially in this letter of Ephesians. Um, The next chapter break is even weirder. It's even weirder in other places where they put it. But you have to look and see, therefore, what is that therefore? And you look at previously in verse 32, and it says this. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God. So in what way are they to imitate God specifically in the way that Jesus forgave us in his death on the cross? He's given the example that they need to forgive one another and love one another with the same kind of love that Christ had when he gave his life for us. That's the kind of love they are to have. By laying his life down and giving his life for them, this is the kind of love he's talking about, a self-sacrificial, self-giving love. That's the kind of love that Paul is referring to here. A love that it is for others, that is the forgiveness of others. And it's a powerful love that is not based upon it being reciprocated. Jesus was not, was not loving people who were going to reciprocate that love back to them. Most of them did not. They murdered him as, they were, as he was trying to love them and forgive them. But Jesus says, this is who they are to become. though, having that kind of love for those people who are trying to hurt you. They're to be a people who forgive in the same way that Christ forgave us. That's the example that's given. That God gave his son who did no wrong to a people who were not repentant. Who didn't even know that what they were doing was wrong necessarily. They were attacking and eventually killed Jesus. And yet he gave his life for them and forgave him. And he says, that is the kind of love we are to have for one another. That self-sacrificial love with no expectation of being returned. That's the example he gives saying, "This is what love looks like." And remember the context. He's not speaking to a group of people who are wrestling about and angry about stuff, like, like who blocked them on Facebook, or who didn't respond to a text message, or who gossiped about them behind their back, like, that's not the context. The context is he's dealing with the Jews and the Gentiles who genuinely hated each other with a passion, believed that the opposite party had no value or dignity or worth in any way, shape, or form, and thought it would be better off if they were all dead. Jews literally thought that for Gentiles, that they would say that Gentiles are fuel for the fires of hell. That was a, a teaching going around a belief that God created the Gentiles simply because he needed more fuel to burn the fires of hell. And he's telling these people, sacrificially love one another. To the degree that i have loved you i mean that's intense i mean that's for them but do we actually believe this for today i mean the majority of christians often i mean including myself we just give it lip service and jesus says it over and over again we say i mean jesus doesn't actually mean that i mean can't we just get back to being angry at those people who disagree with us on those important things that we think are so central well, let's get back to just disagreeing because there's no way Jesus actually means this. I mean, sure, we're supposed to love like him. But tell me, what do you believe about the end times? Because I want to argue about that. Because that, that seems more pressing right now in this day and age as we find what divides us in little sort of side points of doctrine. But what about Jesus saying it's central that we imitate him? Well, again, let's talk about that other stuff. Because I'd rather find things to get worked up about than actually apply my time and my energy to obeying Jesus' call to love. We don't get to do that, according to Jesus, as Christians. Jesus said, we, we don't have the privilege of walking in bitterness towards one another. We don't get to have unresolved anger towards one another. We, we don't get to tear one another down or, or compare our weaknesses to other strengths and judge one another. We are called to love one another in the same way that he loved us. That is our calling as Christians. Well, yeah, but can't we go back to arguing over whether the earth is 5,000 years old or not? And we just look for other stuff to get angry, get worked up about. Obviously, we can have discussions about things we disagree with, but if the bulk of our energy is not going into how do we practically actually love people, have meals for people, care for people, pursue people, we're missing the whole point. was a side point. Even as I was thinking through this message of that little section about trying to compare the things that we Loving Christ with the things we, get argue, we argue about. I spent like 30 minutes trying to think, what's a safe point I can make? This is just a side point. of What's a safe point I can make where I can refer to an idea that Christians hold on to today that people get worked up about instead of actually loving Jesus? And everyone I wrote down a thought about, I had to delete, because I'm like, that's going to offend someone. That's going to offend someone. That's going to offend someone. And it's going to totally take away from the message, because they're going to be the whole time, how dare he say that about those who are arguing over early earth creationism, or those end times? I mean, it's so nuts that I couldn't even think of anything, I ran a few bicycles I was Like, nope, can't say that, can't say that, can that's my point exactly. We can't even talk about stuff. We get so worked up over all these other things, but actually getting worked up over Jesus, how do we obey you of what you said that are supposed to love the way you called us to love? Shouldn't that be the part we get worked up about? Obeying what Jesus says over and over and over again. Do we not hear the words of Jesus, the words of Paul, that we are, we are called to love one another, sacrificially loving those who are different than us specifically, those we struggle with? That means, again, we don't get to hold on to bitterness and and, and, and ruminate the, the, the past hurts and offenses in our hearts towards others. We are called to love one another, specifically those who have hurt us, those who have offended us, those that we're angry with, those who have not yet repented in any way. Again, there is a caveat here in abusive situations. I always throw in this situation in the case of emotional, spiritual, sexual abuse of any kind. It's not just a matter of better forgiving and then moving on and saying I'm all better. In those cases, please seek healing. If it's something that's happened currently and you're in that place, please, please, please talk to someone. Find a way out. It's not just about getting forgiveness, but you have to forgive, but you also have to make sure you're safe and the other people are safe and you get healing in those places. If it's happened now or if it's happened in the past, please don't just forgive and move on. Seek healing. Walk through that and make sure that that person isn't abusing others or that that in some way that, that you are able to walk through the necessary healing in that process what paul is saying here though is that how we believe meaning the way that we actually become like christ the way we live this out in loving one another is just as important as what we believe another word for imitating is to follow the words are interchanged in scripture with this greek word that's used we're to follow jesus we are to imitate him. we're to love the way he loves and we cannot claim to follow christ if we are not increasingly looking like him it's just a reality We cannot call ourselves a follower of Christ if we're not increasingly looking like him and acting like him and imitating him. When we allow bitterness to fester, or saying, I will serve these people, but not these people, or I'll I'll have a meal with her, but not her, we are not imitating Christ. We may believe Jesus existed. We may believe some stuff about him, but we're not following him if we're not increasingly looking like him and how we live in love. I love a story in the book of Acts in chapter 4 where the apostles, Peter and John, have been uh, brought before the Sanhedrin, the religious body, and they're being questioned by them to see if what they're doing is okay or not. And it says this, it says, "...when they saw," that's the leaders, "...saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus." How did they know that they had been with Jesus? It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they saw that these regular guys were doing the things that Jesus had did, they were teaching and speaking like Jesus had taught, the response of the leaders is, wow, these guys surely must have been hanging out with that Jesus guy. So they look just like him. They sound just like him. They're doing the stuff that he did. They're imitating him. The Apostle John puts it this way in 1 John chapter 2. He says, By this, we know that we are in Christ. The one who says that he remains in him ought himself also to walk just as Jesus walked. To be a follower of Christ, we're supposed to be walking just like he walked. Eugene Peterson translates it beautifully in the message. He puts it this way. Anyone who claims to be intimate intimate with God ought to live the same kind of life that Jesus lived. That's what we're called to do exactly what Paul is saying here when we must imitate Jesus and it's it's far more involved and complex than Jamie Foxx winning an Oscar for imitating Ray Charles right this is all of life we are called to do is to imitate Jesus and it's similar to the message we even looked at a few weeks ago on truthing in love that it's not just about knowing truth and and saying truth but actually living out truthing in love it's about right here right now experiencing Jesus's life and increasingly reflecting his life, his love to the world through our lives here and now and so, how do you think the Ephesians actually did with this message? I mean, it's not an easy message by any means. I mean, it wouldn't it be kind of cool if we had, like, in some way, some evidence of 50 or 60 years later of how well they actually carried this out? That'd be sweet if someone actually wrote to the same church about these exact things later on and we could see how they did with it. You know, in this letter, the emphasis is on knowing truth and living out that truth. And it seems that for the Ephesians, they... they the part they really were struggling with was this living out part of actually loving each other that way. And we know that for a fact because, gratefully, we actually do have a letter written about 50 or 60 years later addressing the church about these exact things. And it's a letter of the apostle John was in the process of writing or that Jesus gave to him called the book of Revelation. At the beginning of chapter 2 in Revelation, there's seven letters that Jesus has John write to the churches of Asia Minor. And Ephesus is the largest of those churches, and it's the first one he addresses. And so Jesus writes, says, write this to the church of Ephesus. And he tells John, here it is, verse 2 of chapter 2, I know your deeds. This is Jesus writing about 50 years later to the church of Ephesus. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. I and mean, when you read this, you're like, wow, that's a pretty good recommendation letter. I mean, they're being commended by Jesus. They should be patting themselves on the back at this point. Jesus is saying, you actually listened to so much what Paul said. You are people who are battling for truth, holding on to truth in the midst of all these false teachers trying to give these twisted messages saying that Jesus wasn't actually divine and trying to make, they're watering down the gospel in all these different ways. You have held on to truth. Well done, church. He's commending them. Not only that, you've not grown weary. Of all the persecution, at this point, multiple emperors have tried to wipe out all the Christians in the area, killing, just slaughtering Christians. He's saying, you have endured through the persecution. You've not grown weary. You've been doing good works, and you're holding on to truth. Amen. I mean, some of the people reading this should be just going like, we're doing awesome. This sounds great. Jesus is commending us. Look how good we are. We've been great heresy hunters. We've done a good job of of rebuking all those people who are wrong, and we are right, and and we've even helped out some people. God is seeing what we're doing and saying, well done, good and faithful servant. We've made it. Sounds pretty good. If only there wasn't a second half to the letter. If you keep reading, it doesn't end so well. He says, but this, in the next verse, I have against you. Ouch. Ouch. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. See what Jesus is saying? After just telling him your doctrine is great, you got it bolted down, good job. You're getting rid of all those heresies, you're hunting out all the garbage, you're doing some good works, you're holding on, well done. But this I have against you. And what is it? You don't love me or one another the way you used to. He literally says, you lost your first love. You used to love one another, but now it's far more about fighting heresy than it is about loving one another. He says, you need to go back to Christianity 101. Go back to read that letter of Ephesians again of what it means to love one another the way that I have loved you. Go back to what I said to the disciples. Love one another the way that I have loved you. This is what I've called you to do. Imitate me. Go back to the core message of love God and love one another. And he isn't messing around because the next verse gets really scary. He says this, If you don't repent, and that's not of loving me and loving one another, he says, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Just in the previous verse, he had said the lampstand in this case represents the churches. So to remove the lampstand is to no longer exist. So Jesus is saying, you will no longer exist as a church if you don't go back to doing what I called you to do. Love God and love one another. That's the first work I called you to. All the doctrine in the world doesn't make a difference if we're not actually doing the first work of loving God and loving one another. Jesus says it. If the church is not centered on loving him and one another, they will cease to be a church. Regardless of how good their doctrine is. He just praised them for doing all this good stuff, of enduring persecution, of hunting out heresies, and all these things. And he says, if you do not actively love one another, you have no reason to exist. Those are some strong words. And Jesus is saying this to a beloved church of Ephesus, the most influential church in the whole region, the one that Paul spent over two years training the leaders of. More has been invested in this church than any church outside of Jerusalem. This is the apple of his eye. And yet he says, if you do not love well the way that I have loved you, the people around you, you will cease to exist because you have no reason to exist. A church filled with Christians with big heads, filled with knowledge, who aren't actively loving and forgiving, Jesus is saying is worse than having no church at all. Those are strong words. Jesus says they must repent. They must go back to doing what they did at first, of living and loving like Him, of loving one another and loving God. I mean, to me, this is one of the most challenging messages for the church today. And it's one that I mean, we're just going to keep ringing this bell again and again and again and again and again and again and again. again. The entirety of our church, Northview Community Church, we exist for this purpose, to live and love like Jesus, to actually become like him. And it has to be our focus from every single corner, from, from children's ministries to adult ministries to nursery ministries, to, from cornhole and bunko to women's ministries and men's ministries. From every corner and everything we do has to scream through that this is why we exist is we exist to live and love more like Jesus together, actually seeking to live and love more like Jesus, become more like Him. This is what we exist for as a church so that the world will come to know Him in the ways that we become like Christ in every corner. This is what we're about. Yes, truth matters. Yes, doctrine matters. Yes, we must have a high view of scripture, but literally none of it matters. None of it matters. Jesus says, if we aren't actually imitating Jesus, if we aren't doing that, it's better just to close the doors. If we aren't actively pursuing one another, for walking in bitterness and judgment and anger, we're allowing for people to come into this church or into our lives who are hurting and we don't pursue them and love them the way Christ has called us to, if we aren't willing to choose to love those even that we radically disagree with. According to Jesus, we should not exist as a church. You know, recently, I was meeting with a local pastor whom I deeply respect, and he took over a church that was completely internalized in the way they operated. It's a church filled with people who had been Christians for decades, and were most of the guys in the church who had been reading the Bible more than an hour a day for decades, they were filled with more knowledge than we could ever comprehend, and they had all the answers, but they became so internalized and judgmental, they were convinced that they had the right angle of truth and the right perspective of Christianity better than any church in the area. And they used to boast about it and brag about how they had more truth than other churches, and they were completely internalized. And he took over this church, and, and a little while after doing it, he had said the most bold and brutal, honest truth and he told the whole church i don't think we should exist anymore this isn't what it's about it's not about having the corner of truth and he's right jesus would be in agreement i mean praise god that's not who we are at northview And i mean that with all sincerity the foundations of this church of not from the beginning, but also Steve, the last 20 years, but what we've been known for is the way we love one another, and I praise God for that, that is the foundation, so what attracted us to the church, the way we care for each other, and love each other, and in fact, that was on such display this past week, it was just this past week, we had someone in our body who um, was here, and, and got very ill, and fainted in our body, and in that moment, when it happened, the body just rallied around the most beautiful of ways, and caring for them, and loving on them, and helping call an ambulance, and the people just moving around, and, and walking with them, getting everything they need, I mean, I came down to try and help out, and I realized there was really nothing I could, do because people were caring for them so well we had people on their knees praying one of our people even even called their daughter who wasn't there to drive over so that together they could drive this person's car after they went to the hospital back to their home and get back again i mean people were just stepping into love in the most beautiful ways possible it was just jesus on display in our midst i was so proud of our body and i just felt the pleasure of god upon us it was awesome to watch and I'm, I'm usually the kind of guy that I love crises because that's when, I don't know, for some reason, those weird guys that I just kind of like come alive in a situation. I'm like ready to go. And I went down and there was really nothing to do than just stand there and pray on the sides. I mean, it was just, it was an amazing thing to experience. And that was wonderful. And I was so proud of our body in that moment and felt the pleasure of the Lord. But we can't just pat ourselves on the back and say, look how great we are at this. Because while it's awesome to witness the way we care for those we love, And that was amazing to watch us care for family and care for those we love so well. What Paul is referring to here, and get this church, it's not about just caring for those that we love, it's about loving those that we don't care about. And that's the real challenge here. This passage specifically is talking about, I'm going to repeat that, it's not about how well do we care for those that we love, though yes, we need to do that. In this context, he's specifically saying, how well do we love those that we don't care about at all? Those we've written off. Those who offended us. Those who have hurt us. Those we have bitterness towards and anger towards. Those we have resentment towards. Those we don't give the time of the day because they live a different lifestyle than us. They sin differently than us. They have different politics or theology than us. Whatever it is, how well do we forgive and love those who are nothing like us? If the church can't do that according to Jesus, we shouldn't exist. And Jesus says this takes a daily dying to self. It takes a daily choosing to imitate Him and become more like Him. It's daily asking the Holy Spirit to show us who it is, that open our eyes to who it is that's around us, that's hurting, that needs love, that needs to be cared for, and to be sensitive to our own hearts of judgment and anger, of any place that we are comparing other people's weaknesses to our own strengths. There is no room in the life of a Christian for bitterness and anger and discord. Just, there's no room. We cannot imitate Christ with that in our hearts. We are called to love like Jesus loved us when he gave his life for us, when we were trying to kill him. Paul tells the church, back to 5.1, he says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Now, praise God, this isn't just in our own strength. We don't just pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. He gives us the answer how we do it right there. He says, we love others the way that Jesus loved us. We can love because we were first loved. We can forgive because we have been forgiven of such great a debt. It's just like Jesus told his disciples the night that he was arrested in John chapter 13. He tells them, a new command I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We don't just dig deeper within, but we lean into His strength and His grace by the Holy Spirit empowering us. And then we can love others the way that we have been loved with an incredible unconditional love. We can forgive one another, not because of our own strength, but because we have been forgiven of an incredible debt. We can extend grace to others, not because we're awesome, but because He is awesome and He has given us an amazing grace beyond anything we could ever comprehend. You know, Yesterday, I was taking my kids, um, uh, we were back, and so I, we, ha- we had a, a, an awesome moment with one of their favorite things to do, is we took them to Dollar Tree, and I said, hey, buy one thing, anything in the store, on me, right? We roll deep with the Lund household, one of their favorite things to do. So it is, as, as we do this on my regular basis, they love it, and what, as what often happens, my oldest two go and uh, get big, giant bags of candy, the biggest bag of candy they can find. Doesn't even matter what kind, just the biggest thing they can get. And my youngest one, as always, goes and picks some cheesy toy, in this case, like some little p- cheesy paint set. And he's, we're getting back in the car afterwards, everyone's excited, and then all of a sudden, my youngest realizes that he got the raw end of this deal. They're eating all their candy, and he's got nothing, right? He's like, that's not fair, and he, he starts asking, can I have some candy? And I won't say which one, if you know him, you'll probably guess, but one of them says, no, it's mine! Um, and, and he's like, but please, and he's like, no, and the youngest is kind of crying, and I'm like, hey, a minute ago, you had nothing, I'm telling this to one of my older sons, the one that wouldn't give, and you had, literally had nothing, you had no candy, he's like, yeah, and I'm like, and then I went and bought you this big bag of candy, he's like, yeah, I'm like, you had nothing, now you have a lot, right? More than you can eat right now. He's like, yeah. I'm like, can't you give just a little bit of that away? He's like, no, it's mine. I'm like, but you literally had nothing just a minute ago. I gave it to you because I love you and I wanted to bless you, and now it's yours, right? This dollar candy. And he's like, well, fine. Okay, and he gives it away. And we can say, well, well, we would never do that. You're right, because we don't do the oh, fine part. We just don't do it. We, we, just, we just ignore it. And, and Jesus tells us the story so beautifully in the parable of the unmerciful servant. In Matthew chapter 18, there's this, this crazy story that Jesus tells. And it's Jesus' answer to Peter's question of, Jesus, how much should I forgive my brother? Should I do it seven times? And, and, G- and Peter's like all proud saying seven because the Jewish answer was only three times to forgive an offense. And he's like, should I do it seven times? And Jesus says, no, far more than that. And then Jesus says, here's a story. And he goes, there was this king who had people who owed him money. And there was this king or a guy that owed him tens of millions of dollars. And he brought the guy before him and he forgave the entire debt. Tens of millions of dollars and let the guy go free. Amazing. He says, this guy then leaves, goes out and finds a buddy that owes him a few grand. The first guy, he owed 165,000 years of labor is how it works out to. 165,000 years worth of labor. The next guy owes him three months of labor. A few grand. And he says... With the guy that, after just being forgiven tens of millions of dollars, he won't forgive the guy his few grand, and he sends him to jail, gets him to prison until he can pay back the debt. And Jesus says, that's what it's like for us when we don't forgive. When we don't love the way that, you, that I have loved you. He's like, you don't understand. I have given you tens of millions of dollars. Can't you give a couple grand to someone else who's hurting? But look at what they did to me. No, look what you did to me. You owed millions of dollars. And I forgave it. The little translation is that it's 600,000 times greater debt. If you do the math, it's what the older servant owed. And he couldn't forgive a couple grand. Jesus says that's what it's like when we cannot love those who have wounded us. That's what it's like when we harbor resentment and bitterness in our hearts. We got this giant bag of candy sitting in our lap, and we can't even give a piece to our younger brother. And that's what we do every day when we hold on to bitterness and anger, and unforgiveness, and we carry offenses. We allow people into our lives and out of our lives without ever loving them well. And through his precious Holy Spirit, Jesus says he empowers us to go out and live in love like him. If we're more concerned with gaining more knowledge than actively loving our neighbors, we've missed the point. Not that it's wrong to study. My life is devoted to study. But 1 Corinthians 13, Paul makes it so clear when he says, if, you're just a, if, your, if your goal is to acquire more knowledge, he says you're nothing but a loud and clanging, noisy symbol. you got nothing to offer. If we put more energy into trying to refine you know, the finer points of theology than to actually caring for those that God puts in our path, we've totally missed the point. If we're only interested in hanging out with those who sin in the same ways that we sin, who are talk the way we talk and enjoy the things that we like, we've completely missed the point. We must listen to Jesus' words. We must increasingly live and love like Him, sacrificially loving those that we struggle to love. And I want to address this again because this is the context of the passage. Yes, it's broader in love, but it's specifically addressing those who are harboring resentment and offense and hurt against others. That's the specific context of what he's saying here. So I want to narrow down on it. If we are holding anger or resentment or bitterness to someone near or far, Jesus says, Repent. That's what he says. Repent as Christians, return to your first love. And let's just be completely honest. If we are sitting here today and there are people in this room or part of our body who we have resentment against and anger against or holding judgment against because maybe you disagree about something or they didn't respond to you or they respond in a way that was unloving and maybe they gossiped about you or whatever it may be, please heed Jesus' words here. They are not gentle and they are not light in this case. He says, repent. We don't get this option as Christians. We've been given tens of millions of dollars. We must be able to extend a few grand to those around us. If we can't love one another within the body, what do we have to offer to those outside the body? We are hypocrites of the highest order. In that case, to quote Jesus himself, we shouldn't even exist as a church. Now, if you are here and you've not yet experienced God's amazing love and His amazing grace, I want to welcome you to experience His love today. To experience this love that that casts out brokenness and casts, casts out the offense of others, that overwhelms us with His love. And today, you can experience that. I understand in that case how you could hold on to resentment and bitterness. But for those of us who have tasted it, if you're here or you're watching online today and you've tasted of His love, you've tasted His forgiveness, you've received His grace and His mercy into our life, we do not have the option of holding that against others. It is just not on the table for us as Christians. We must imitate Jesus. We must choose to love one another. Amen? So we're going to take communion this morning. In just a minute. As we begin moving that way, there's this incredible phrase that Paul drops in one of the most famous passages where he talks about communion. I just want to highlight it for a second before we do, and it's 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. And he says, The Lord Jesus, on that night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Right there, it stated so clear what it means to imitate Jesus. He says, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, on the night where Judas tried to kill him, the night where he turned him over, the man he had poured three years of his life into, of everything of who he was, he had poured into it, and Judas betrays him that night. Communion, the very act of remembering Christ, happened on the night he was betrayed, that Jesus said, Judas, even before he he did, he said, I forgive you. I'm giving my life for the very guy who's bringing about my death. That's how Paul introduces communion. Loving those who betray us. Giving our lives for those who've hurt us and turned against us. That's imitating Jesus. This is the kind of love Paul speaks about and Jesus speaks about. So, do you feel betrayed, hurt, hurt? Unseen, overlooked, wounded, broken, slandered. Okay, so was Jesus. He knows it better than anyone. And he says here, imitate me. Love others the way that I have loved you. So before we enter into communion, I want us to give a chance to the Holy Spirit just to speak to us. To take a second and ask him how we are to live this message out in some ways that like hit a bunch of different things. And so for some of us, maybe what we need to do is repent this morning of being so focused on the acquisition of knowledge that we're not turning back to our first love. Maybe we can ask the Holy Spirit of whom we're to approach this week, of of loving practically and reaching out to, and maybe pursuing a meal with. Maybe it's a neighbor or a friend or, or a loved one or a former friend that you've burned a bridge with. Maybe it's someone in this room or or it's inside your own home. Or maybe you need to turn off social media and stop watching the YouTube videos of that guy or those teachers that are always telling you why you're right to believe what you believe and why you have to hate those people who believe things differently. And all it's doing is creating discord and dividing you and causing anger towards others rather than causing you to imitate Christ. Or maybe you're harboring resentment or bitterness this morning or unresolved anger towards someone in some way. And we need to go share a meal with them. Or if that's too crazy have a phone call, initiate a place of reconciliation and ask the Holy Spirit what it means to pursue life in Him this week, to imitate Him, to become like Him and not to do it our own strength, but to lean into Him. Amen? Let's just take a couple seconds just to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us. But just before we do that, if you are here and you don't know Jesus, even as we pray, I invite you to just say, Lord, I want to experience your overwhelming love. I don't know it. I've never tasted this grace. I have resentment and bitterness in my heart that has wounded me and controlled me so much of my life. Father, I want to know this kind of love that casts out all fear. I want to know this. In that case, right now, just listen to his voice as we pray. And respond to him. Holy Spirit, we just come to you right now and just ask, me you reveal to our hearts right now what it looks like to imitate you. for psalm 139 23 and 24 says search me O god and know my heart test me and know my anxious thoughts see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting jesus search our hearts right now please reveal to us what is our role in this are we harboring resentment or anger or pain against others that's festering within us and affecting our sleep and our actions and our habits in some way lord Jesus, reveal those things to us. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Remember, the Spirit never brings condemnation. it will bring conviction, but not condemnation. If you're feeling shame or condemnation, it's not of Him. Take whatever it is that He's revealing to your mind now, take that to Him. Repentance isn't an issue of condemnation and shame. It's a point of freedom of just saying, Lord, I recognize my heart has not been in line. I want to lie my heart to You, Jesus. I want to break free of these shackles that are holding me into anger or bitterness or. That are maybe even just causing me to get so stuck in my head in the season of reading so much books and watching so many videos that all i can think of is what how i disagree with others instead of actually engaging with the world around me jesus lead us towards love amen all right this morning we're going to take communion we're going to do it a way we've done it a couple times before and we're going to take it as a body as we're talking about loving one another and so Um, I'm sorry for some of the introverts um, that maybe this is a little weird. If you can't do it, I get it. You can sit off to your side. But what we're doing is we're gonna get into groups of four or five, just people right around you. Ideally, some people you don't know super well. And we're gonna put up on the board kind of five steps to walk through. You can just do one person each if you're comfortable. And you just read through that passage. Uh, You can open up your phone and pass it around if you want to. And just go through these steps. Each person takes a step. And the last one is just pray this out. It, It could be one or two or three people just praying out briefly what that looks like for thanking Him for His love and to empower us to imitate his love in the way we do. So right now, I want us just to just stand up, if you can, and, and find a couple people around you in groups of four or five or six, if need be, and let's just take communion together as a body. Amen? Father, we... Thank you for the gift that you've given us. So beyond comprehension, Lord. You've given your life so that we can have life and a life in you, Lord. And through that, Father, you say that you want us to become more like you, to imitate you, to follow you, to experience your life coursing through our veins and in our blood. That when others encounter us, they encounter you, Lord. And So, Father, grow us in this. Shape not just our minds, but our wills, our hearts, our actions. Holy Spirit, may you follow up through us this week and the months to come and remind us of your beauty and your life and your longing. Reshape our loves that are disordered, Father. May we pursue you and experience your life flowing through us into the world around us. Gently pry back, Lord, the areas of pain, areas of bitterness and resentment, Lord. And help us to walk and leave those things with you. And experience more of your freedom in life. Thank you, Jesus, for your love, your overwhelming grace and mercy. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for coming this week. And um, please linger. Get to know someone you don't know. Go love on someone today. Practice this right now and just going and loving the body today. Someone that you don't know well and find out they're doing. Invite someone for a meal this week. Get to know someone. Pursue someone. Love someone. Amen? All right. See you guys next week.